Hi there, it's Soleil. And Nia. Luckily, we were able to get another interview for another episode. Yep, we interviewed someone who we know quite well. We interviewed Heidi from Remojo. Remojo is a non-for-profit organisation that taught us how to fix slash repair laptops. Although we didn't work with Heidi, we worked with another co-founder, Owen. He was the one who taught us how to fix laptops. So in this interview, we talked a little bit about how Remojo got started... What was Hattie's thoughts on e-waste and the projects or policies currently going on around e-waste? And last but definitely not least, what he thought was the root issue of this growing e-waste problem. Anyways, let's listen to what he has to say about all this. Hello, how are you guys? Good, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, no worries. So, my name is Nia and this is Soleil. And we're from Liger Leadership Academy here in Queenstown. So we've been doing a project centered around e-waste and uh, e-waste, e-waste reduction. reduction. So why don't we go ahead and get started? Could you introduce us? <laughs> introduce yourself. <laughs> yourself and tell us a bit about Remojo. Yes. Yeah, cool. So my name's Hattie. I'm the co-founder of Remojo Tech. So Remojo Tech was started in years ago by a group of students, myself and Owen Aitken, who visited your school. And basically we started off as a bit of a school club. And what we did is we would collect old broken computers when we were year nines in 2016. And then we would try refurbish them. And then after that, we would get our friends in together as a club and teach them how to fix laptops as well so we could refurbish more laptops and donate those into the community from there sort of we sort of decided to spin it off into a business as part of the young enterprise scheme whereby we would sell a portion of the laptops to cover refurbishment costs and play around with different kind of business models and that kind of thing while also running the same club we started simultaneous to that Eventually, shortly before the first lockdown, the first COVID lockdown, we at school the whole day refurbishing devices because many students were about to go into online and distance learning without a device. And I think we changed out maybe 30 devices in a day, which is like was the record for us at the time. And then from that, we got a bit of media coverage. We were contacted by the news. I think that was in 2020. And then from that, we were contacted by this organization called Digital Future Aotearoa. And they said, hey, look, we'd love to scale your program across the country. And then since then, Remojo Tech and in partnership with Digital Future Aotearoa have established a program called Recycler Device, which I think Liger Academy is also a part of now. Um, And now it's sort of replicated that same model across schools across New Zealand, but tried to also introduce the sort of ideas of sort of tech leadership skills around technology skills, e-waste management and education and also job pathways. So a lot of the students that eat or have been through the Recycler Device program end up becoming trainers themselves, like paid trainers and employees for Mojo Tech. And so we recruit directly from the RAD program. So yeah, I guess that's sort of a really quick summary from start to finish. So, have you paired up with any other non-profit organizations, perhaps maybe like Red, that that would help you out through this, you know, sort of? Have we have we paired up with other organizations? You mean? Yeah, yeah. I, we have actually. Yeah. So 
throughout our journey, we've been in touch with a lot of different organizations that have come to help us. I don't know if I can name all of them off the top of my head, but some organizations have come up to us and asked us to provide similar kinds of services. I think the one that sticks out to me the most probably be at the moment that I can think of would probably be Zeal Education Trust. So it's a not-for-profit youth worker organization. They do all kinds of things like sound and lighting courses, youth events, that kind of thing. And they were looking to establish a similar kind of program out of their headquarters in West Auckland. So they flew us over to Auckland to help establish a similar kind of program. And we learned a lot from them because they had a whole host of expertise that obviously we'd never, we'd never run into before. There was a big opportunity there for us to learn from them. So I guess for us, we've learned that every time we get approached by a different organization that wants to partner or partner with for a short or a long period of time, it's best to look at it in terms of what both parties can get from it and what learning you personally as a person can get from it. Because, because as opposed to, oh, okay, they asked us for the service, so we just provide that service for them. Because it's, it's a lot more in-depth than that. How many high school students have you taught to repair laptops? I don't know. I legitimately don't know. Like A lot? <laughs> a lot, yeah. I'd say definitely. In the schools we've trained, like as, as Remojo Tech, definitely like, right, me personally, definitely over 100. Like well over, like definitely somewhere in the triple digits, I'd say. Wow. Like Remojo Tech as a whole, probably, probably, probably a bit higher than that, maybe. Yeah, couldn't tell you. Because the thing is, is also you've got to remember at the same time that when you're measuring like the impact you're having on, it's not just those you've trained directly or those that you've trained as an organization. Because once Remojo Tech helps stand up these programs across the country, they're going to recruit members internally and train them up. So it's almost like those skills have been perpetuated, if you get what I mean. So it's like, yeah. okay, I trained this person, this person went on to train that person, that person went on to train that person, and so on and so forth. So that point, like, your impact, you can't really put a number on today because it's like, it just keeps going forever. When do you decide that a laptop is not worth repairing? Uh, generally... That depends on a lot of things. So obviously there are um, let's just let's just go down the simple route first of all. So let's say if it's going to take me a lot of hours to fix and the likelihood of something going wrong while I'm fixing it is very high. And the likelihood of me discovering something else that I didn't know was wrong with the device is very high as well. And the components required to fix it, like say if it was a motherboard, are very expensive, then I would deem that as not worth it to fix. So I, I whipped up a little formula a while back. But if the number of like hours in terms of like a minimum wage or whatever, plus the fair market value of the, if the fair market value of the device you basically compare the fair market value of the device versus the number of hours. Obviously you put a dollar amount on the hours, like as it was minimum wage or something like that, plus the cost of the parts. Then you'd compare the two values. So you'd add again, so you'd add like cost of wages plus cost of parts. And is that greater than or less than the fair market value of the laptop? That's a really good way to determine whether it's worth repairing or not.
otherwise it can just be like a quick intuition sort of mental check that okay here i've got this device it's not turning on at all i tried literally everything like try switching out the ram etc it's probably a fried motherboard what i might do is i might look up the price of a motherboard online if it's really really expensive and it's going to take me a lot of hours to fix hey it's probably more worth just using maybe the screen and the rest of the parts and the ram and whatever to refurbish other laptops so i'd strip it for parts and then use it to refurbish something else i definitely say that one this is like knowing when to do that is it's sort of that, that sort of intuition comes over time you develop over time and two there are people that have the equipment to re repair like board level repairs like repair the motherboard itself if like they can actually specifically figure out what is wrong with it and they have these giant ten thousand dollar like soldering machines where they like look at it under a microscope and it's pretty insane but obviously we we can't afford that kind of equipment so we've got to be a, um, a bit more conservative in what we can fix and what we can't fix yeah what's your or like remoto's remoto tech uh, main focus surrounded around like e-waste so in terms of e-waste so remote Remojo Tech enables sustainable accessibility through education and connecting communities with equitable resources. So what we help to do is, as opposed to us having an e-waste strategy internally, what that affirmation is sort of saying is we're more of enablers of effective e-waste management, right? So we want to create networks and sustainable solutions to e-waste whilst also providing the tech skills in an increasingly digital landscape. So I sort of stole that off our website right now that I'm reading off. So if you think about it, in a sense, we're equipping people with the skills needed to minimize e-waste in their own community. So how to refurbish a device, how to strip devices for parts, how to deem whether something is worth recycling or not. And lastly, where do they actually recycle it if it's at its end of its life? So yeah, I'd say, yeah, our, our e-waste strategy is more around enabling others because most people just don't know how to effectively manage e-waste, whether it be in your household or at a school. So like a school, for example, does a school have an effect? Do most schools in New Zealand have an effective e-waste management strategy? We don't know. So I don't know, I can't tell you, but what we hope to do is reach a point, hopefully, where all these organisations can have an effective e-waste management strategy. Do Major Tech perhaps think to expand or maybe join with other organisations to create something a bit bigger? Yeah, so that's sort of the focus with RAD, eh? Like, the reason we're so open to partnerships is because we want to obviously maximise our impact. Um to date, we've actually had a shortage of trainers. So what we've been doing to expand in the meantime is we do actually have a couple ideas around expansion. So it's really awesome you brought that up. So one of them has been we've been employing more trainers. So because we have a shortage of trainers and Recycler Device wants us to train more schools and community groups, we've had to go around more sort of schools and community groups looking for passionate individuals that are willing to come on board travel the country with us to train other students and so today i think maybe we have something between like nine and 13 trainers working with us and obviously that number needs to grow a lot more before we can 
we can we can fill that shortage. So that'd be our hopes for next year. And then our other sort of hopes for expansion was to look at partnering with corporates as well. Going forward, I'd have been talk, we've been talking with the co-founder Owen recently about this. So basically with the whole corporate strategy, we were looking at so expanding to corporates to help them achieve their goals when it comes to e-waste and tech refurbishment skills. So maybe there's the possibility of being able to run these kinds of workshops, but tweaking them a bit and running them for adults at corporate organizations. And that could be a great way for corporates to give back to the community if they want to run like volunteer refurbishment days um, where they get people in to refurbish laptops, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's another opportunity for expansion that we have as well that we're looking at. So yeah. Um, how old are you? Because we heard that you're still in college. So how would that all work out? Yeah, so currently I'm actually in university. So I was a second year student this year. I finished going into my third year next year. So I'm currently 20. Most of the people that work with us are anywhere between 14 and 20. So, yeah. And like, you don't, age is not really a barrier when it comes to this kind of thing. Like I'd encourage anyone that wants to start a business. It seems like when I first think of it, you'd have to be a bit more older or something to get all this experience, but you're only 20 and you like the co-founder of your own business. So that's really impressive. It's really cool. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean, like anyone can do it genuinely. Like I mean, the Young Enterprise Scheme enables, is literally targeted at like high school students and helps them start businesses. Like you can join the Young Enterprise Scheme when you're year 11. So like there are people that have done this kind of stuff younger than us. So I wouldn't call us an exception at all. But yeah, whether whether or not I am able to manage it day to day, we'll find out. Like for me personally, it's been very tricky to balance it while being a full-time student at university as well. So, but like other people like Owen, for example, who trained your school, and um, he's able to, he seems to be managing a lot better than I am. So I guess it's with time. Yeah. What's your biggest worry with e-waste? Biggest worry? Biggest worry. Biggest worry. My biggest worry, actually, or my biggest heartbreak, more rather, is when people think something's e-waste, but it's not. So I had a, I'm not going to name name names, but basically there was an organization, or there was a group of students, right? They were fixing away laptops and they were struggling getting something to work um, on the software side. And they just determined that they're going to send all the devices to e-waste. When I had like did a couple Googles and then I found the answer to what they were trying to solve. <laughs> and so that was like a heartbreak this is like god those could have been because remember we want to reuse before we recycle right so we want to reuse all the components we can before we send them to the because e-waste recycling is literally putting it through a shredder and it's very time and resource intensive uses a lot of chemicals creates a lot of emissions just to extract plastics and the precious metals from the devices Whereas, you know, reusing a device or getting it up to working order again through simple things like maybe just changing thermal paste, changing out a stick of RAM, 
a bit of software troubleshooting can bring a device back to life and prevent it from going to e-waste. Um, what do you think could be the root issue of this e-waste problem? Root issue? I say two, two root issues. One of them is real, some really, really cheesy, but education, most people just don't know what to do with their devices at the end of their lives. So some people argue that that the default of that lies directly with the companies producing the, you know, like computers or e-waste. But and the other people will say that actually no, that fault lies directly with the consumer because consumers are too dumb to know what to do with it or don't want to know what to do with it. So it's sort of like blissful ignorance or whatever that saying is. I, th- I think it sort of lies somewhere in the middle, right? So we need a bit of education towards consumer on what to do with the device, but also product stewardship from the manufacturers themselves to provide pathways for these devices to be e-wasted securely and with as small footprint as possible and reused where possible. Now, the thing is, is that recently we've been having this whole, this is the second root cause that I think is also is more related towards the whole product stewardship thing is the whole thing around consumerism and planned obsolescence if you guys have heard of that so basically what happens is like companies will deliberately make something harder to repair or will make it fail in a certain way that you can't repair it and that way you just have to chuck it out or chuck out more pieces of the device or becomes less economical to repair the device so that way you're incentivized to buy a new one at that point I guess the reason why this whole planned obsolescence thing's growing is because organizations are almost incentivized to do this, you know, for, you know, late stage capitalism and all that jazz. But I think there's been some sort of movements in, that have come out of the United States around right to repair. And so really oversimplified versions, like organizations have very strict requirements on whether you're not allowed or not to allowed to repair your devices based on and whether or not that would void your warranties people are getting really really annoyed at that and also to do with you know planned obsolescence and that that kind of thing and some manufacturers weren't actually providing parts to consumers like they would just not sell parts at all they would be like nope we're not allowed to sell parts to you guys we can only sell parts to authorized repairers and what that meant was basically people had all these devices that were failing and they weren't able to repair them one because they'd void their warranties two because because they planned obsolescence they were going to fail anyway and then three because they weren't able to get parts for them and so that whole movement sort of starting to pop up all across the world now with the right to repair movement i think it's a it's a great thing for anyone to check out if they want if they want to explore more with the the product stewardship and uh uh, root causes of e-waste i think that's a that's a major one oh one more point actually my dad's laptop funny story so it's one of those newer hps um you guys know how like i'm not sure if you guys are aware but like on most laptops you can remove the ram sticks they fail yeah Yeah, so on my dad's laptop um it started giving a blue screen every so every now and then like blue screens a lot and it's like pretty obviously a ram issue and so went to replace the ram but the ram is now soldered directly on the motherboard so it's not removable yeah that's that's an example of planned obsolescence i I had a flatmate who this is even funnier 
His computer kept blue screening because it had a faulty because it had faulty RAM. We diagnosed the issue as faulty RAM. Only okay. one of the RAM sticks was removable. The other one was soldered directly into the computer. If both of the RAM sticks were removable, we would have been able to fix it. And let me guess, the faulty one was the one that was not removable. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that is an example of that is one of the root causes of e-waste that is planned obsolescence. That's very dishonest, you know, of, of manufacturers to be pulling these to try to do it. Because yeah. I mean, if you, if you, so there are some valid arguments that okay, actually we do need to sort the RAM on the motherboard because it makes it thinner, that kind of thing. But in my flat, in the, my flatmates example, right? If they're able to make one stick removable, they can make both sticks removable, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a case of making the laptop thinner or not, is it? So, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. No. Sorry, that was a long tangent, but... It's all right. It just, you know, it just shows how much they'd be willing to, to go to the extent of it just to get more income and profit and stuff. Mm. And I'm sure you guys have done your research on this. Like, I, I'm sure, like, a lot of what I said is really, really familiar to you guys at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So in our previous interview, they talked a bit about planned stewardship, mm. which we will, which might be implemented now. What are your thoughts on the whole thing? Planned stewardship, definitely a step forward. Like if, if we're able to get the manufacturers themselves to take, take responsibility of their supply chains from start to finish, then that helps. But I think the second component of planned stewardship as well also some responsibility has to fall on the consumer as well so yes the like the the organization themselves the the manufacturer themselves has to take that responsibility of what to do with the device at the end of its life cycle for example like i don't know the the details of you know the specific you know legislation or whatever that that are coming out these days but organizations take responsibility of product is one thing but also sometimes the weakest link in that can be the consumer so it's getting that getting the consumer educated to the point where they know what to do if they want to extend the life of it and they know what to do if they want to pass it on to the next person or have it recycled what part of the environment do you think e-waste affects the most what part i probably couldn't tell you eh? i'm not a i'm not a scientist I mean, it's your personal opinion. Yeah, it could be your personal opinion. Like, for an example, me, I think that out of everything, I think that the water stream, water is affected the most. If there's a landfill that's perhaps by any source of water, anything, I could, I think it could be contaminated if the landfill is not built properly and stuff. So, absolutely. So, like um, like the air or something. mm, So, in a lot of countries, e waste is burned. In that case, it would affect the air, but mainly, uh, from what I understand, be water given that things like motherboards and stuff, they contain lots of toxic chemicals, but they're all sealed on. And the moment they get wet, they start to leach these toxic chemicals like arsenic and mercury into our waters. Uh, yeah. I'm just trying to find the name of this organization. I mean, all of that's not good for you in, in like yeah. contact with all of those materials and chemicals. It's, it's not helpful. So this absolutely there's this organization called the ocean cleanup and they i'm not sure you guys have heard of them but they're an enge- non-profit environmental engineering organization so they create these sort of autonomous drones that go through the ocean and clean it up and they also recently started installing them in rivers and so what's really cool with them is that massive 
corporations, including this company, this nonprofit, that's developed the system for cleaning rivers and ocean and the oceans and investing millions in these sort of autonomous machines. In fact, Coca-Cola, who's recently sort of trumped up their product stewardship efforts, said, okay, well, in return for all the plastic waste we've created and in the streams and waterways, we're going to buy a bunch of these autonomous machines and chuck them in the rivers ourselves from a work in partnership with the ocean cleanup to hopefully, you know, negate or counter some of the negative effects they've created. So that's, that's their example of sort of product stewardship, right? Cause they're, they're looking, they're taking responsibility from start to end of the supply chain. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at least well, you're taking responsibility. Cool. Yeah, that is yeah. pretty cool because I see a lot of Coke, Sprite bottles, LMP bottles everywhere. And mm. it's, it's very nice to see that they're taking responsibility for it. Well, yeah. it, hopefully it's not a, hopefully the, 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 their, their intentions are genuine and they actually want to take it to the other, to the, to another level. And, but because obviously we know that like if they just buy three of them, that's not going to do the trick, yeah. is it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it'd be great if we could see a lot of other, for an example, Apple or stuff like that, mm. trying to take ownership for all of the e-waste they've created. And maybe it's those robots that you talked about, maybe not, but just take some ownership for what all of the e-waste Absolutely. Um, another example to check out would be Apple recently created a, dis, or not recently, I think it was a couple of years ago, they created a disassembly robot for e-wasted iPhones. Oh, it's called um, Daisy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was. A, and then they also recently Apple started allowing users to buy parts. Finally, That's after many, That's many really years good. of yeah. people harassing them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's good that we're trying. That we're seeing some ownership now. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It was awesome. We learned a lot. You. Yeah, we learned a lot. It was great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. It was really interesting talking to Hetty. This interview came as a surprise, but I think we did really well. It was quite nice to work with someone who we had some sort of connection to, but I still think it was pretty interesting to hear Hetty's perspective. This was actually a much more fun and relaxed interview, seeing as it's our second. Well, surprisingly, I wasn't actually here when Owen came in and taught my classmates about like how to fix laptops and stuff, but we talked a little bit on Gmail with him, and it was actually really interesting talking to him. Anyways, we hope you enjoy this episode. It was really, really interesting talking to these people, and I hope we do more things like this. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. Or night. night.